Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Welcome back to the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Today, my guest is Olivier Repair, CEO of ShareNow. Welcome. Hi. 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 Thank you for joining us, Olivier. You You're are welcome. one of the people who probably know most in the industry about car sharing. You are CEO of ShareNow right now, previously CEO of Car2Go, mm -hmm. and then have been, if my numbers are correct, at Daimler for about 14 years in total. Yes, exactly. Yeah. You are well informed. Great. <laughs> how, did, how did you first get into this industry? What did it look like then? And how did it evolve, car sharing? It was really interesting uh, joining Daimler in 1998 and being part of, I would say, the management of a big automotive company was really interesting. And, and I learned a lot from, from Daimler and being at smart once before joining Car2Go, it has been really interesting to be part of the team taking care about the urban mobility because the smart, the perfect urban car was built up especially for the urban mobility purposes. Uh, it has been really interesting to push also the electrification of the, of the smart car. And it was quite logic um, end of 2016, when I was asked to, to join as a CEO of Car2Go to take up that challenge and to go for it, I would say. Yeah. Car2Go was a pioneer in free-floating car sharing back in the days. Car sharing basically existed for a long time, I think as a kind of local initiative in many cases, maybe kind mm -hmm. of driven from an environmental point of view and like by, by local, maybe even non-profits. And then Car2Go, I believe, was one of the first to pilot a free-floating setup and then went on to an expansion course. Also, for some reason that I don't understand, maybe you can like tell us, maybe you, you, you know why that happened. Also, very early on to Austin, to the US. So first there was Ulm and Austin and then quickly expanded into a number of other cities. How did this sort of transatlantic setup come about in the beginning? It was really interesting to, to see with what high motivation at Car2Go, the guys creating Car2Go, creating the concept behind Car2Go, but also building up the whole, I would say, tech infrastructure around Car2Go to enable free-floating car sharing because nothing was available on the, on the market. means it uh, has been built up from the scratch for Car2Go. And yes, it's true, they, they always had to look into an international exp expansion. Uh, they started, as you mentioned, in Ulm, Stuttgart, uh, Austin. It was fascinating to see that free-floating car sharing was also really well accepted in North America, to be honest. Not only the US, also Canada. And the expansion plan was really challenging on the, on the car-to-go side. And I think it was really, really important for car sharing in, in total to prove that car sharing is something who can be really attractive for, for people in the urban area. And I think Cartago has done, I would say, a pioneer work on that. It was uh, for, for the whole car sharing industry today, I would say the door opener. What's been the evolution since then? Because we have, we basically were coming from more station-based, driven by non-profits, sort of distributed car sharing initiatives, but 
kind of like a fringe phenomenon to now Car2Go and others, but Car2Go leading, bringing the model into cities around the world, a free-flowing, uh, floating setup. But what would you say has changed in the um, outlook for free-floating car sharing over the years? Do you think those early predictions have held true or has there been some sort of adjustment in how big the market really is? From my point of view, it was a never-ending development and improvement of the whole ecosystem. What, what do I mean with that? Uh, I remember Car2Go with opening times, I would say, eight, ten seconds, you know, mm -hmm. on the technological side, uh, the, how to talk with the car, uh, telematic, uh, also talking with, with Daimler in that time, how we can improve, I would say, all the modules within the car to have a, a faster opening time, but also talking about the back end. Some years ago, we, we talked about having a, a monolith as a, as a tech infrastructure. Huh? Today, everything is uh, with microservices, more than 200 microservices who have to work perfectly together, but also concerning the customer experience, how to communicate via the app with the, with the customer. If you look at the app 10 years ago, if you look at the app today, I think it's a very impressive development we have made also on, on, on that layer, how to be really relevant for the customer, how to present the product, how to give new use cases to the customers. Uh, from my point of view, it's still in a, in a strong evolution and it never, it never ended. And this is the fascinating part of, of the business, I would say. If we map out Sort of user growth for station-based car sharing over time. I think it would span several decades and be, yeah, probably exponential, but like slow growing. And then free-floating car sharing started much later, mm -hmm. uh, was went much higher. But then two-wheelers, kick scooters, kick scooter sharing started even much later, and then quickly went even much higher, um, lower, yeah, kind of smaller devices in the last two years, very mm -hmm. quickly. You started out with this kind of form factor of a car and recently you opened up to also other brands, which was, I think, like maybe unexpected being <laughs> yeah, owned by Daimler and BMW to bring also the Fiat 500 and other brands now into the service. But where do you see ShareNow evolving as a vehicle sharing provider? And you mentioned the tech investment that you've also made basically along the way into your own software and maybe also own hardware components. I'm not 100% sure, but yeah, I think on both yeah, on sides, the, are you mm -hmm. going to use that existing infrastructure to also grow into other vehicle types or where do you see car sharing and light electric vehicle sharing basically merging or not merging? Yeah, from our point of view, there is still a long way for improvement on the, on the free-floating car sharing. And it's not only about uh, short-term trips, it's also about what we name long-term car sharing with offering trips up to 30 days to address perfectly, I would say, that, that product to, to, the, to the customers and uh, to be a high, uh, highly relevant player in that, uh, in that area. For us, it's very int interesting to see how we can combine, I would say, the ShareNow operational part with the ShareNow tech part and to work really, really hand in hand and, and developing our completely owned own ecosystem and, and offering that to, to our customers. 
We have been really happy to see how open BMW and Daimler have been when we suggested also to uh, take third-party vehicle in our in our fleet, uh, like the, the Fiat 500 we, we took with the combustion car, but also with the fully electric Fiat 500 we just uh, launched last week in Amsterdam. It's there, there is a lot of there are a lot of opportunities in in I would say the car ecosystem we see and we further see uh, also in the in the future and our tech environment gives us a, a lot of options and, and opportunities. We also have uh, two franchise partners can also offer I would say this this franchise aspect of providing the the tech support to provide free-floating car sharing in, in cities where we are not, I would say, owning the, the operations, but supporting the operations with all the tools and offering a appealing product to franchise partners. This is also, for us, a, a very important area where we can uh, further grow in, in, our, in our plans. Yeah. It's very interesting. So if I understand correctly, you say you have focus on the car ecosystem. For example, think about long-term car rental. It's not just the minute-based and the investment you've made into integration of your operational part and tech part yeah, allowed you to have a very good product that you now also franchise to others. Publicly listed at the moment, I believe, are about 16 cities that Share now is operating in. And when you mention franchise partners, those are people running, are those people running under your brand in some of these 16 cities or more? Under their own brands and in, in other places. Yes, um, it's it's. We are talking uh, to be to be very clear. We are talking about Copenhagen and, and Budapest. Uh, mm -hmm. These are the two franchise cities within our within our portfolio, and they are uh, they are running the ShareNow fleet under their own responsibility. Yeah? We are providing the application. We are providing the I would say the, the operational support from the from a tool perspective, but. The, the fleet is owned by these franchise partners in Copenhagen and, and Budapest. Yeah, um, to clarify that. Yeah, I think that um, if I if I read it, read it correctly at the the time, that's been the setup for a while, right? Like maybe even from the from the launch some years ago in uh, Copenhagen. It seems like a very kind of timely model in a way that kind of asset light franchise model where you basically provide a platform, maybe even deals to some extent on vehicles, but somehow in the end aren't the owner and the operator of this setup. Do you think that's something that will yeah that you will do more of in the future? Yes, we would like to Long. because we, we we don't see, I would say, the necessity to be in every single city. We we know that if you take the example of Copenhagen with really, really a successful city with this franchise concept, we know how important the local knowledge is also to, to be successful, to acquire new customers and, and to have this, this uh, local knowledge uh, to improve very fast the figures and uh, be successful with, with free-floating car sharing. We see the franchise concept as a, a future-oriented solution to further grow. And we know that the customers from, from Copenhagen, they like the the advantage or the aspect that they can also use our service in all the other cities uh, mm -hmm. without having any new registration or something like that. They can they are, they are free to use the service, not only in Copenhagen, but in all other 15 cities in our portfolio. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really appealing. And uh, we, we know that this is a, a part of, of uh, very important assets um, in, our, in our ecosystem now. 
What would drive that decision for you to either launch a city yourself or go with a franchise partner? Especially what I mentioned about the local knowledge, about what is exact uh, identifying the, the local needs and, and being able to be faster in the in the ramp up, I would say, not only to start the operation, but in the ramp up from a from a customer perspective, but also mm -hmm. from um from all the KPIs, from all the operational KPIs. Yeah. We see some advantages uh, with uh, this franchise approach because we know starting as a first player in a city is not easy for, for free-floating car sharing. You, you have mm. to, to provide a, a decent amount of cars. You have no customer at the starting point. You need to ramp up the customer quite fast in order to have the utilization you need to have yeah, and not burning too much money in the first years. Because yeah, it's not a surprise in the first years of doing car sharing in a, in, a, in a city where you start your operations, it's first of all a cash burn you have to take into account. Yeah? This, mm -hmm. is, this is a clear, a clear situation. And if you, you can reduce that time of, uh, the, I would say, the cash burning time for a new city that's uh, really attractive and the, I would say, the franchise option with the local knowledge is, is definitely an option. Now that you've seen both models work, would you launch any cities of your own anymore or is franchise sort of the default way to go? Yeah, the last big city we started is Paris, yeah, big capital. That's always very interesting to, to be in ourselves yeah, and, and to start the operations there. It's also a fully electric cities, uh, city in Paris. We, we had a, a strong relationship with the city of, of Paris because we had been in discussion how to improve also the quality of life in, in Paris. What are the, the concepts for the future of mobility in Paris? It's very interesting to see what a local government uh, like uh, the team of uh, Anne Hidalgo are doing yeah, to mm -hmm. improve the whole, I would say, mess up in Paris with traffic jam and so on, who are still in place. But the solutions are there and the solutions are pushed From the, from the city. And for us, it was really, really important to be an active part of this solution for the city of Paris. Yeah. You mentioned they require an all-electric fleet, so the yeah, initial investment is even higher. But then also, it sounds like it's a very important showcase and there were existing relationships, so maybe almost too important to risk anything, maybe to give to a franchise partner from that perspective, or that also drive sort of the decision whether... It's a very strategic city, then it should be uh, your own operations. But if it's more a tier two city, maybe then like, it might as well go through franchises. It was it was clear for us from a strategy point of view that we want to do Paris. Uh, it was also the last car to go city we, we launched in mm -hmm. uh, with, with Paris. It was clear from, from the beginning on, if we have the chance to, to start an operation in, in, in Paris, we would do that. We, we knew about the infrastructure because of the of the previous player uh, in place we knew about the high motivation of uh, an Hidalgo's team to have some new actors in in Paris some successful actors in in Paris and for us it was clear from a strategic point of view that we need to be directly ourselves in Paris uh, doing that doing that business yeah where do you think innovation will happen in vehicle sharing or specifically in car sharing in the near future, maybe in terms of yeah, business model or yeah, also 
user experience or technology that's used to connect to the vehicles. Is there an area where you think, okay, it's been kind of the same for a long time, but there must be something more coming because it seems like, yeah, the, the evolution is, is very gradual by now. It mm. seems like more brands are coming onto the market and everything gets gradually Im improved. But what's the, let's say, game changer, if not the form factor of just a different type of vehicle? Mm -hmm. But first of all, I think what's really interesting to see is how all the, the tools related to, I would say, machine learning, artificial intelligence, optimizing of the operations, what the improvement the last years in our, on our BI team, a business mm -hmm. intelligence team, what we have been able to, to improve from an operational point of view, thanks to the new tools where we, we developed uh, in-house. It was really impressive to see that. Yes, we, we expected somehow that there would be a way or a fast lane for autonomous vehicles. It looks like it's more challenging than expected also for the car manufacturer. Yeah? But from a long-term perspective, I think there is a, a huge improvement for the free-floating car-sharing business uh, as soon as cars are fully autonomous. It's really, really interesting also to, for us to, to see what happens with, with companies like uh, Velocopter and um, air mobility. Yeah? It's really exciting to see what will happen there. I think there are, there are on, on the technological side, there are a lot of revolutions in the, in the future. And this will really help us also on the operational side. I, we, we know from our simulation that with fully autonomous cars, we would be able to do the same business with half of the fleet. Yeah? And this is a game changer, would be a game changer. But we also know that for the autonomous industry or from the autonomous point of view, the urban area is the most challenging one. And this is also the reality they are facing with uh, the development of all the aspects, the need to have fully autonomous cars. But um, once it will happen, yeah, and then we will also have on the operational side, a big game changer with, with fully autonomous vehicle from my point of view. Mm -hmm. When you say recently your um, BI team yeah, deployed AI for tools that they've developed for your own operations. What's kind of the order of magnitude of improvements that you're able to see? And do you target those towards higher service levels, sort of matching supply and demand, or mainly towards driving down operations costs? Because that's still presumably the yeah, main struggle as an operator to be able to provision cars and not have to service cars so much, basically. Yes, at least it's it's both. Yeah? On the one hand, you really want to be at the right time, on, on, on at the right moment, at the right place with, with your cars, with, with all the prediction tools and the dynamic you have related to a lot of factors concerning the peak times of the utilization or weather, weather situation or because some certain events uh, happens uh, in, the, in the city. You want to be... I would say, available for, for the customers on the one hand. But from an operational perspective, we also want to be as good as possible concerning the frequency of, of cleaning to understand when we have to do what in a bundle wave per car and uh, the, the combination of all these, I would say, aspects or parameters who influences 
also the, the cost perspective or the, your PNL, and to optimize this operational ecosystem is a, is a never-ending challenge, I would say. Yeah? And this is uh, fascinating also to see what we can put out of, of new tools, what we can learn from city to city, because every city has its own behavior, I would say, from, from a mobility perspective, and being able to adapt in the back end these BI tools in order to steer every every city on the highest possible professional level. Yeah? This is uh, this is not a home run. We are really happy having that in-house, honestly speaking, and being able also to invest, I would say, on that part of the business for us. Yeah? Like what's in order of magnitude for how much improvements are still possible in this area? If you say, for example, like operations cost, I don't know how that's expressed internally, but maybe, for example, per trip or so, whatever goes into cleaning, charging, repositioning, like per trip, how much does that even go down still from year to year? Are we probably talking like smaller single digit, um, like um, percentage efficiency improvements, or have you seen larger gains? And can you share some of what was driving those, how that was possible? <laughs> yeah. Um, when we enter, for example, the, the long-term car sharing area, we also offer to our customer the pre-booking. Mm -hmm. and, and with this pre-booking, you also have certain options you can choose, uh, getting a fully fueled car, fully cleaned uh, with everything mm -hmm. all in, I would say. Yeah? Mm -hmm. And um, But this is something you have to manage uh, when there are some high demand uh, moments like uh, now for the, for the Eastern holiday time where there is a high demand for this kind of, of uh, product. You want to understand how to pick out of your free-floating car sharing fleet the cars at the right moment in order to have them in time ready for the customer who booked or pre-booked that car. And the optimization potential there is still, from my point of view, a, a two-digit one. Yeah, Because you start being on the safe side, you know, providing the car reserved with a a lead time, I would say, was quite big uh, in order mm -hmm. to be able to manage the volume and to understand peu à peu what kind of uh, improvement you can you can do. But with the support of of the adapted uh, BI tools, also adapt to the long term car sharing, gaining efficiency with these new use cases or offering these new cases is really interesting. But still still a, a good way of, of improvement possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When you are speaking about the long-term car rental and like provisioning these cars and so on, you are, you are basically meshing two businesses that used to be very separate, I think maybe until maybe a year ago or so, not, not, not very long ago. Mm -hmm. it, it was either daily rental or minute-based charging. Those fleets were also separated. And what's happening now to basically car rental and eventually car dealership. Do you see those free-floating vehicle providers or operators as the future yeah, entry gates towards rental and then subscription as an alternative to ownership, basically? So the idea that I go to you know, a six-station or a Daimler dealership to <laughs> sign a contract and so on and interact with a person who basically go away because the inventory is somehow distributed in the streets and I might take this car by the minute, but I might as well 
also keep it for a few months and the, the, the end result might be similar to what would have been a leasing term. Yeah. Do you see this yeah, basically free-floating car sharing as the front end, the sort of future front end towards car ownership? Or do you think that's somehow wrong? That doesn't make sense. That's misguided. To be very clear, our, our purpose and everyone Achia now know this purpose and know this is what you need to believe in in order to really be a, a part of the Chernow family is that we really believe in, in sharing more and owning less, yeah, and and to make our cities uh, more livable. This is this is our target. And if you really want to achieve that, it's important to offer all possible use cases to give no excuses to customers or to potential customers, why they should stick to their own car. Yeah? And mm -hmm. this was the reason why, from our perspective, it was really important to go into the longer use cases, the long-term car sharing, to enable our, our customers also, if they want to have one of these cars to go to holiday or whatever, only spending a weekend at, at the Ostsee, for example, that there is no excuse because, you know, um, Using cars is, is a very emotional topic and uh, you, you do not need to own that car to feel some positive emotion by, while using a car. You, you do not need to be the owner of that car. You can use a, a sharing car. But if you are thinking about getting rid of your car, I think you always have a good excuse not to do that. And we want to reduce the amount of excuses. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and especially in the urban area where we know exactly that the cars are on street parking most of the time, more than 90% of the time. We are also looking into what does it mean about, uh, is there really high demand or need uh, concerning the, the auto abo? We see a lot of players there. We are still concentrated on, on our car sharing offering uh, from short term to long term. But it's interesting to see, is, it, is there really high demand for, for auto abo or with all the players around us doing car sharing in different ways, is there enough answer to your needs for mobility? And you, you mentioned it, uh, I think, 10 minutes, 20 minutes ago. If you look at all the mobility portfolio who you can use in a city like Berlin, Munich, Hamburg. Uh, it's only some examples. One day you use your bicycle, the next day you use a, a car sharing car, then you, you, you use um, a scooter, whatever. This is, a, this is freedom. This is a real mobi mobility freedom you have in front of you and you, you can use. And that's, I think, the right answer uh, in the urban area. We have no claim like, please only use free-floating car sharing uh, in order to go from A to B in a city. Not at all. Please use all the nice options you have around you and that, make, uh, that will make you quite happy about the, the, the freedom using one day a nice uh, scooter and the next day using a, a bicycle, for example. Yeah? Yeah. This, uh, from my point of view, the highest level of freedom you can have. Yeah? While it Is freedom on the surface to have all these vehicles standing there and the offerings like really growing the whole time? And it's like quite a luxury that 
yeah, we couldn't even imagine some years ago. It feels like every time after you take a ride, you're getting punished a little bit because because of the the price every time around. Today, this morning, I I picked a yeah kind of a van sort of cargo type car from let's say one of your friendly <laughs> competitors mm -hmm. and uh, to to carry um, like a big cargo bike to a shop that needed to get repaired. So drive around, get this van, pick it off the street, drop it off again, 32 euros later in the app. Mm -hmm. Every time you take a, a vehicle, you basically get shown the price a lot. Your mm -hmm. trip to take the cargo bike to the repair shop was like 32 euros. And in the original way of using vehicles as we know it, you basically have this pain only once. You make the decision to buy the car, that's it. Maybe like once a year again, when you go for the inspection and have all the repairs, but it's like mental accounting, basically. It's just less painful to decide once and then not have to think about it for many months than to have it in front of you every time. Why don't mm -hmm. we have more innovation in business models in, in pricing, for example? So could there be such a thing as a flat rate? And actually, as we're saying this, we know there's one sort of client of ours launching in Hamburg later this year that they are going to try out a flat rate for for car sharing with a certain type of car. But do you think like there's more room there beyond technical innovation on uh, yeah, pricing business model innovation to get people to like really use all these offerings very freely instead of always feeling somehow bad about it every time? First of all, what, what is really bringing the whole thing to the point is that most of the people don't know how much does my car cost per year. On the one hand, you have maybe your leasing rate or credit to pay or something like that, but you also have to change the tires. You have to sometimes do some service on, on the car. And I would say more than 95% of the people never put all the bills together and, and calculate how much does my car cost per, per kilometer per minute during a, a full year, yeah? means the transparency is not there. If the transparency would really be there and you have enough option to calculate that, uh, you know, with ADAC, you can calculate for every car type, what does it cost yeah, to have uh, to have that, that car? People will, would realize that the pricing they are paying today is a really decent one. It's is really fair. It's really okay. Because, yeah, using cars is... Is, is not cheap, yeah? It's really not cheap. The second point about um, having a flat um, for for using uh, or in order to, to use some mobility offers, what we see is a growing business also with the mobility allowance where we also see as a part of employee benefits companies offering this kind of mobility allowance in, in order to enable I would say the free usage of all the, the mobility options in a, in a certain city, it's going in it's going in that direction, and it's um, also about being flexible and easy to use with with all these these offers and uh, like using, I would say, mobility option like uh, car sharing or another type of of mobility player. And um, yeah, I think we are going clearly in that that kind of direction. Yeah? If you're going in this direction of like a mass subscription, basically, then quickly comes to mind the role of cities behind that who might yeah, maybe today offer a public transport monthly ticket that could be extended to include other options. What's the importance of cities for your 
business success. I mean, I think regulation varies across Europe, which is now your focus. But do you see everybody moving kind of in a similar direction? Or do you see some places that are basically off limits for you because of what the city does and then others that are going very well because, mm -hmm. again, of what the city does? Do they very much drive if a city will work well for you or not? Or is that overrated? Um, we talked about uh, Paris as one example of uh, close cooperation, close relationship with, with, uh, with the city. But uh, with most of the cities in our, in our portfolio, there is a, a real intense uh, cooperation between what we are doing, between our ideas and what's going on, I would say, with the planning of infrastructure, of the planning of how should the mobility be in the future in Madrid, uh, even in Stuttgart or Berlin, Hamburg and so on. What we need uh, if, we, if we want to enable, for example, car sharing in our specific case, Yes, it's really, really painful if we see what we have to pay for parking in Berlin, for example. I think this is not a, a new topic. This is really something we do not understand. Every player in Berlin do not understand that situation. Yeah? Uh, what there is no more political support to facilitate our business in Berlin. Can you put um, that to numbers, like roughly how much you're paying in Berlin? How does that compare to Hamburg, for example? In, 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 in Hamburg, you have Uh, I, will, I will not go into the specific figures, but uh, in, in Hamburg, you have a flat rate. Yeah. And okay. uh, this flat rate was not from the beginning on, but it was a hand in hand, I would say, in a working group with the city. How can we facilitate the usage or the offering of, of car sharing in a city like Hamburg? What is a, a fair pricing? Was it, what is a decent pricing concerning parking, parking space? And, and that was, I would say, a hand-in-hand -hand development in a, in a city like Hamburg. Also, the growing part of the electric infrastructure in Hamburg. Every car sharing player is putting more and more electric vehicle in their fleets in, in Hamburg. It's because the relationship with the city is really on a really high level. Yeah, To be very clear on that, there are cities where it's easier to develop alternative mobility offers and other cities where it's a little bit more challenging, I would say. But in general, I think there is no question about how relevant free-floating car sharing offer is for, for a city. We have a high usage in all these cities. And I think there is no enough, uh, I would say, proof points in place to further push and enable uh, free-floating car sharing and in the future, free-floating electric car sharing. Mm -hmm. One thing that stood out to me when I looked at your list of cities now is that they are yeah, the very well-known ones, the biggest cities in Europe that you're going after. And probably makes sense from kind of a density point of view um, at first, but do you see car sharing happening also in smaller cities? And if it's not done by you, do you see like a different type of companies or players doing it there or even maybe a role for yeah, public transit operators in mid-sized cities to maybe support this or, or maybe license your technology and run it mm -hmm. themselves? How do you think smaller cities where most Europeans basically live are going to have access to car sharing in the future? 
Yeah, there is, there is no restriction for the tech part of the business. There is no no restriction concerning the size of the city. No, there is no relation between between both. It's it's a question of of potential. It's a question of how is indeed the population density, how high we see the potential, and how fast can you make a, a business profitable in the mid-sized cities. Yeah, we we have some experience about that. We have been in mid-sized cities we are still in mid-sized cities from from our point of view we know that it's a, a bigger challenge but we are also open as i mentioned to to offer our our technology to smaller cities we we know altogether it's not a it's it's easy to be to be profitable in in bigger cities it's this is not a challenge anymore yeah where where our service is, is really highly relevant if you're talking about uh, hamburg berlin munich or frankfurt it's not since years it's not a challenge to be to be profitable in in that kind of cities but it's by far more challenging in a fully electric city it's by far more challenging in mid-sized cities this is the reality yeah mm-hmm. because the utilization is lower the operational challenges are more challenging especially with fully electric fleets and I think all together, all the players, we, we have to, to find all the improvements possible to, to make it possible also uh, to be profitable in fully, fully electric cities and uh, to be profitable in, in mid-sized cities. That, that is still a challenge, to be clear. Mm. Super interesting. All right. A lot to learn from this session. Very interesting what you said towards the end, actually. I mean, for you, it's like a given, but I, I think not everybody realizes when you said it's not a problem anymore to be profitable as car sharing in certain cities with enough density when there aren't like extreme restrictions like go, going all, all electric. But then you also said the yeah, focus on the car ecosystem, basically. For us, that's that's the holds a lot of potential also when, as we think towards more longer-term rental and the application of AI is still driving down operations costs, but also your ability to match client demand. And this idea on the yeah, business model side that maybe since you own this technology, you, you also don't always have to be the operator. You could also be, and you already are in two cities, a franchise provider, mm-hmm. basically. That's very, very interesting, kind of nuanced uh, picture about share now. Thanks a lot for spending this time with us going onto this format. And uh, we talked about it before we started recording here that this is sort of the small brother of the Wonder Mobility Summit that we would have liked to do again also last fall and would have liked to invite you to the stage. Couldn't do because mm-hmm. of Corona, but we are very committed to letting it run this fall. And I hope that you can yeah, make it and that we'll see each other in person there in Hamburg in the fall. Yeah, it would be great. It was a, it was a pleasure, Gunnar. Thanks a, a lot. Really pleasure. Thank you.